No, I, I'm going to kill some some applications on my computer, maybe. Don't, don't touch the rabbit ears on top of your computer. <laughs> <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want, to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you go check them out at the show's link, that's hire.com slash JavaScript Jabber, you can get double the hiring bonus that they offer. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at hire.com slash JavaScript Jabber today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another JavaScript Jabber show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Quick shout out, Angular Dev Summit is now over, but you can still get the videos if you want. Just go get an all-access pass. We have two special guests this week. We have Eric Simons. Hey, how's it going? And Albert Pye. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Now, do you guys want to introduce yourselves really quickly? Sure. Yeah. So uh, Albert and I have been best friends since childhood, actually. We grew up in Chicago. We live in the San Francisco Bay Area now. And we our, our uh, primary job is uh, running Thingster.io, which some of you might be familiar with. We teach the bleeding edge of JavaScript technologies, various frameworks, as well as even the backend portions. And we actually just created a new project called StackBlitz, which we're going to be talking about today. But we're the co-founders of Thingster and the two-man team behind Thingster.io. Awesome. Very cool. So uh, the thing we have you on the docket for is StackBlitz, which looks pretty cool. Do you want to give people kind of a two-minute elevator pitch for what that is? Yeah, totally. Well, StackBlitz is, in short, it's an online VS Code IDE for Angular, React, and today we just rolled out support for Svelte. Preact is coming tomorrow and Vue. Essentially, you can just you come to the site, and we figured out how to essentially run like Webpack and VS Code all inside of your browser. So you can just uh, type and we hot reload your application just like it works locally. And it's insanely fast. And we ended up creating Stackblitz because of our work at Thingster, where we teach people how to use the bleeding edge technologies like Vue or React or Angular, or whatever have you. But we found that a very common problem was getting build tools set up. And even if, you know, if you're trying to create a prototype or something with uh, any of these frameworks, it's often very cumbersome to have to download some CLI and get that set up and get up and running. With StackBlitz, it's literally one click to get an, an, a real environment set up where you can be building out your application and you can send that link to anyone and they can see that application and play around with it as well. It's funny what you're talking about um, 
kind of brings two things to mind. First of all, back when Heroku was brand new, the, this is kind of what Heroku was for Ruby. And yes. And then also uh, we had Tim Caswell on as a panelist for a long time, and he was one of the guys that helped build Cloud9, which is also an online IDE. Yeah, totally. And and we've definitely, as we've been building it out, we've uh, Cloud9 and Heroku specifically have been two things that we've looked at for a source of comparison and inspiration because they are very similar to what we're doing. Uh, the difference with uh, Stacklet sp specifically is uh, with Cloud9, you know, they have an online editor and then you're like renting basically a VM somewhere out in their cloud, right? Mm -hmm. um, and same with thing with Heroku, you know, you're getting a server instance out there in the cloud. And so there's typically a cost associated with that. We actually figured out how to run all of that within your browser. So uh, when you're actually building and, and running the application, um, your browser's compiling it, serving it, um, bundling it, like literally everything. And so like StackBlitz actually works offline. So if you disconnect uh, the internet from your computer, it's, it's a, just a web application. You don't have to install, any, install anything. Um, we use the like progressive web app APIs to actually run a live dev server inside of your browser. So you can keep developing offline. So we actually, we are using virtually any server resources to make that work in your browser. So uh, yeah, let, let's just kind of let's let's talk through some of this because, I mean, my my brain's going directly to how in the heck do you run Webpack in the in the browser? <laughs> <laughs> the answer is that you don't actually, because <laughs> um, we 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 spent a lot of time. This it started off as an R and D project for us because um, we had this realization as we are teaching our our you know students on on Thinkster, um, you know, all, all these tools, these build tools are written in JavaScript. Right. So why why can't they just run in, inside of a browser? And, uh, you know, there's uh, you may have heard of System.js, which mm -hmm. is uh, kind of it's kind of the equivalent of Webpack, but in the browser. And, you know, it's a, it's a shame. It's gotten a bad rep for, for being slow. Uh, but we ended up actually realizing after investigating is that the, the actual reason it's slow is because for System.js to request files like, you know, how Webpack has to load in files and compile them. System.js actually has to make XHR requests to grab every single file, which can take a very long time, as uh, you know, I'm sure you all are familiar with you know, doing a, a, a hundreds of XHRs in sequence can take a while. So what we ended up um, figuring out, uh, or, or well, testing how to do, um, was creating an in-browser file system that system could immediately read from, and then uh, basically adding like an actual uh, FS wrapper and a very powerful loader system around system itself. And so we actually have Webpack loaders uh, running, but it's not even running on Webpack. It's actually running on system itself. I'm still not Sorry, sure. Wait, I, well, I think my brain just exploded. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what Joe said, I'm like, okay, okay how? I, I Yeah. It sounds probably very magical. The, the, the reality is it's just a, a, a lot of elbow grease to make it happen. But uh, essentially, the, the, the real trick with making system more versatile was giving it the notion of a file system. Because the problem with, with web browsers, if, if, you know, if we want to try and, and take, create a development environment that will run natively inside of it, is that there's no notion of a file system. We can't. Yes, that is definitely the one problem with web browsers. Continue. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so what we, what we ended up doing, especially when you're talking about uh, you know, creating an, an you know, online ID. And so we uh, created a, a file system that you know, would work in browser. Um, but a, another uh, restraint is that you know, obviously brow browsers are 
you know, they don't have as much compute power as running something locally. So we couldn't necessarily load in, you know, all of your NPM packages and whatever have or you. Webpack for that matter. <laughs> or, or Webpack. And so sure. we essentially, the entire system had to be built, not sorry, when I say system, not system.js, but our entire uh, build tool chain that we created had to be created from scratch to run uh, really fast inside of a browser. Um, and giving us those those parts of local development that are critical for running complex loader systems inside of a browser. Hmm. That sounds awesome. I mean, well, where did you come up with this idea and decide, hey, we're going to do this? Yeah, it, it started because, uh, you know, we we were having a, a trouble teaching our students at Thinkster how to use these latest frameworks because more often than not, they would get stuck not on the frameworks themselves or the concepts we were trying to teach them, they would get stuck trying to install something on their computer. They're trying to install Webpack or, you know, any of these other tools. Um, I'm sure people listening have definitely ran into this issue where they, you know, they want to get started with something and it's a huge hurdle. Um, yeah, you have to tell them to like blow out their node models and run npm install again and figure out why that failed. And, and, yeah. and it takes forever. <laughs> you know, it's just it's an awful experience. You know, getting started with something new locally. Right. Uh, and so we, you know, we were thinking, okay, well, what, what kind of solutions are we looking at here? And there's a lot of online playgrounds that will got to give you like stripped down versions of being able to play around with these frameworks and what have you. Uh, you know, typically you're including a, like a script tag where it's like, you know, this package is being ex exposed as a global. And while that works, it's just, it's not ideal because there's a, there's a large context, which when you do inevitably have to use that framework locally, um, and you're not getting the real experience there. You can't, you're not actually installing NPM dependencies. You're not importing, you know, from NPM. You're, it's, it's a very different experience. And so with StackBlitz, we wanted to really port that same exact experience and, make it work inside of a browser. Um, and we we were able to do it. Uh, if, if, we, if we couldn't have figured it out, we wouldn't have actually gone and, and made StackBlitz. But because of like the progressive web app APIs, where we could essentially create a dev server that runs in the browser, and obviously all these compilers are written in JavaScript, and System.js itself you know, is a huge part of, of what made this possible. You know, we're at a very unique point in time where if this was a year ago, we wouldn't have been able to do this inside of a browser. Now, you mentioned that you're kind of creating a Visual Studio Code experience. And Visual Studio Code is written in Electron. Is there some limitation with Electron that wouldn't allow you to essentially simulate the file system instead of making them do the install on the, uh, on the back end? Can you rephrase your question? So I guess what I'm asking is, is that Electron is essentially a Chromium browser. And so, yeah. you know, wh why, why not just create this as a you know, kind of a standalone um, Electron app, kind of like Visual Studio Code is, except you substitute your browser side size, you know, browser side file system instead of using the actual file system like uh, VS Code does. Yeah, so with with, uh, with like Electron and with VS Code for that matter, they, they actually get native access to the file system. And we thought that uh, potentially like trying to fight the compatibility with that mm. would potentially be like a losing strategy since uh, you basically have to polyfill FS versus like at like most of these trans transpilers that need to run, like don't actually need the notion of a false okay. system. Like a lot of them, you can just pass them like a straight string and they can compile it. So instead of like trying to trying to like, get these interfaces to line up so that we can just get the thing running. We decided to create the system from scratch so that 
we have just like the minimal amount of code needed in order to compile your app. And this ties into like one of the big features of Stackblitch, which is the, the, the primary feature, which is speed. Because uh, when we were building it, a big part of it was, you know, it's, it's absolutely possible to have, you know, Webpack running on a server or something bundling your app um, and other, you know, other stuff like that. Uh, the problem is, is the question of like speed and scalability because it costs money to run those servers to, to bundle Webpack and whatever have you. Um, and, 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 you know, importantly, uh, for the UX, it's going to be slower. And so in order to make it work fast in a browser, we, you know, we had this goal of, you know, it needs to be three to five X faster than local development for it to, for people to come here and go, wow, I didn't know a browser can do that. And if, if that's the case, then, you know, maybe there is something to running dev, you know, dev tool chains, uh, within a, a browser context. Um, and so that's been a, a guiding light for us as we've built out a lot of the StackBlitz's core technologies. So one question I have that I don't think we've talked about, um, this also works offline. It does. Can you talk about how you went about that? Okay, yeah, totally. I think the key one is the service worker API, which essentially allows you to run a proxy server in browser. And the, the original use case for service workers was for um, intelligently caching assets for your application and that sort of thing. But it's, uh, you know, we, we realized, oh, it's, you know, it's a proxy server, we could actually just, you know, program this thing to spit back proper assets that are actually virtual. They're not like real assets anywhere. They're coming from in memory because of uh, from that that in memory file system we were talking about. Well, yeah, so I have a question there. I mean, so if it's in memory, are, are you guys ever reaching a point where this like falls down? Yeah, that was that was one of the things that we tested to to make sure that it, it would it would be able to handle the largest applications. Um, and so the the first test we did once we had the core uh, infrastructure built out was testing out real world, which is actually a project that we created. The headlines, the mother of all demo apps. It's a massive real world application, basically a clone of medium.com. And it's written in a whole bunch of different frameworks, Angular, uh, there's Vue support, there's a React one, um, and, and it can run all of them in your browser. And it's a very large application making requests to a backend. And I, it, we were we were surprised, but uh, it, it makes sense. Like, you know, when you, when you are storing these in memory, uh, the largest applications we've seen only take maybe somewhere between five and 10 megabytes, which uh, any, any browser out there uh, can handle just fine. That's really surprising. Yeah, we were surprised too. You know, the the entire way as we were de-risking the the hurdles, we figured we might you know get stuck somewhere. Uh, but browsers have really gotten to a point where they're powerful enough where you can actually build the web using the web, um, and so. Where that's kind of where we want to go with StackBlitz, not just StackBlitz itself, but like we want to actually open source the core technologies because, you know, wouldn't it be great to live in a future where when you write a loader for, uh, you know, a, a tool chain that it can work natively inside of a web browser so that if you want to allow other people to try out a new framework or a new library or whatever, um, you can just send them a link and they can try it out. And that's that's really that's the power of JavaScript. Yeah, we see that all the time with a lot of the uh, innovation coming from the community, the ability to share our knowledge. And uh, we think it's it would be a huge benefit to the JavaScript community if we could uh, figure out how to create a very robust universal tool chain that works in a browser as well as locally as well. You know, a bunch of people are going to try to break this now, right? 
<laughs> we, we encourage them to. We encourage them to. <laughs> we encourage them to. You know, throw throw whatever you got at it. Uh, you know, there are uh, you know obviously limitations on certain things. You know, certain stuff we you know we we can't do. You know, some people like throw binaries in it, and then they're like, "This thing's breaking." And we're like, <laughs> you know, we, we actually have static asset support coming within the next week or two here, so that that'll solve the binary issue. But. Uh, but it can handle very surprisingly large applications, and that was that was a hard requirement for us when we started working on Stack Blitz. So another question: So if you guys are leveraging like the VS Code code, does Stack Blitz like automatically update when VS Code pushes an update? Uh, we have to do it manually, um, but we actually have to run a variant of VS Code. So we use like their Monaco. Uh, core editing engine, but we also have um, some of the other stuff like uh, you know project search. Uh, we have go to def uh, go to definition working in there. Uh, we have like the files sidebar, like stuff that that uh, you know we had to put in ourselves. And part of the problem is that, and this kind of comes back to an earlier question about you know running an electron and what have you. A lot of VS Code's functionality is surprisingly coupled to. Uh, running on a machine. So, for example, the uh, the way that you uh, do color themes with the uh, like the syntax highlighting, that's actually done with TextMate grammars that runs on like C, and that doesn't work in a browser. And so, so we had to figure out ways of of doing that. Like that's just one example, but there's a lot of things where uh, there's a lot of assumptions that this is going to be running on uh, you know on straight up on metal. Uh, and uh, so we had we had to bite the bullet. <laughs> this kind of goes across the board for a lot of the things we had to implement. But bite the bullet and say, okay, we're going to have to re, you know, redo this, uh, but built for the web first. Um, and it just it takes more time to do it that way. But again, you know, the benefit of being able to just send a link to someone and they can be editing a, a fully fledged Angular, React, uh, Vue, et cetera, application. I think that's worth it at the end of the day. The ability to do that. Yeah. So one thing that I'm wondering with this too is that you're saying, hey, look, this gives us the opportunity to get going quickly without having to go through all the setup headaches. And I can see getting to a win fast, right? Getting people in and seeing, hey, I can write this code and it does the thing that I expect it to and it all builds and it's all happy. But don't people eventually have to be able to set things up on their machine? How far into the curriculum do you get before you say, okay, now go download VS Code and install NPM and have your headache. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, right now this is, uh, it's really good for, for taste. It's like the Costco samples of, of frameworks, right? You can, you mm -hmm. walk up, you take it, you know, you, you test it out, you're like, mm, that tastes good. I want some more of that, right? And uh, we actually have the ability, so for like Angular and React applications, do we have an export button that will export that application into uh, Angular CLI and create React app respectively? And so you just npm install and then you're good to go. So we automatically will export your projects to uh, to run in a local format. And you know when when you when you make that jump, what's interesting that we've seen with our learners is that they already understand the core concepts of the framework because they learned that in StackBlitz. And so when things don't work locally, they don't assume the problem is Angular, React, or whatever. They know that the problem is with the build tools. And that's that's a, a, a very uh, interesting point because 
what that means is what's been going on, what's hard about learning a new framework often is that you don't know what's wrong. Is it the framework? Is it something wrong with your setup specifically? As a, as a newcomer to a new framework, you often, it's hard to discern because you don't have that experience. But having started in StackBlitz first, you know what is supposed to work um, on the framework side of things. That makes sense. Do you have deployment tools for StackBlitz? So let's say that I decide not to install VS Code and I want to put it up on Heroku or, you know, I set up a, a server with a node or something running on it. Um, yeah. Do you have something like that where I just push a button and it goes off into a container? Um, not quite yet. Uh, a lot of people right now are they just export the project and then, uh, you know, they deploy it, you know, from their command line or whatever, because mm -hmm. um, it's, it's ready to rock and roll. The second you hit export, you can, you know, deploy to Firebase or whatever have you. Uh, we're actually going to be adding import and export from GitHub very soon here. So you can if you have any CI stuff set up around that GitHub repo, it'll automatically do that for you. And, you know, we'd love to add easy ways for people to deploy to Heroku or now or whatever have you in the future. But, you know, a lot of people even now, like they're, they're spinning these things up as uh, small projects and to, to share with friends. And we actually do host the application on uh, our site. So you can send the, the link to the running application to anyone at any given time and they can literally see that and play around with it. And uh, we're actually shipping an update in, uh, within the next couple of weeks where as I'm typing and I'm editing the application, anyone watching that app URL will be able to see it hot reload live, like on their device, um, which is super wow. cool. That is super cool. Yeah. Yeah, we're really excited about that one because it's going to be, uh, you know, being able to, to hot reload across airwaves, devices, and, and continents is going to be, uh, for, for design teams, uh, for any product team, that's going to be really valuable to get immediate feedback on that sort of thing. I see an issue in GitHub right now to add an integrated terminal from like four days ago. Have you guys put any thought into that? Because it seems like that would that would not be the easiest feature to add. <laughs> yeah, um, we've kicked we've kicked around the the. Uh, the idea of that. And so we often ask, uh, I think that's like the third or fourth time we've gotten that issue actually. <laughs> from, okay. from various people. Um, uh, it, it's a definitely a very common feature request. And whenever we ask why it, the answer is typically I need to use the angular CLI to generate components or I need yep. to use, you know, like they have specific things in mind they want to use. Mm -hmm. Rarely ever do we hear, uh, you know, I need to be able to, you know, uh, like do you know do file system you know crazy file system operations? It's typically being able to run the CLI commands or, or like being able to run tests. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Being able to run tests. And so what we're actually doing is we're building that the functionality that they're seeking into the user interface itself. Um, so for example, for the Angular CLI, we actually have an update coming out next week where instead of having to run you know ng generate new component, when you click on add new file, you can just click on component which is like part of a dropdown, you type in the name and it automatically scaffolds everything and imports that component into the, the nearest ng module, just like the, the CLI does. And, uh, and there's been a couple of other issues that kind of were uh, with similar features as well. Uh, and people seem to really like the UI versions of this more, actually, than the CLI, uh, because we can give them more context around the actions happening than a CLI uh, typically can give you. All right. That makes sense. So, yeah, and this this reminds me a little bit too. I know that there are some JavaScript terminal emulators that you can put on a web page. 
And so what I'm wondering is, because you mentioned that this is a VS Code-like experience, are you pulling in the code editor pieces from VS Code? I can't remember what the name of that uh, engine's called. But is that what uh, you've Monaco. done? Yeah, Monaco. Or have you pulled that in or have you written your own? We, we've we've uh, pulled in because VS Code uses Monaco mm -hmm. itself. And yep. uh, Monaco, they ship as a separate module. We do use mm -hmm. Monaco. We also use other parts of the VS Code code base. Okay. Um, and uh, to, to make you know a lot of the functionality work. Um, but yeah, yeah again, we, we have to be very careful about what we pull in and we usually have to rewrite parts of it in order to make it very performant in the browser um, and to play nice with the, the paradigms of a web browser. Um, like one thing specifically that, that uh, ha is different is that, you know, for example, that file system, uh, we, we can't do synchronous file reading uh, by default because the way that we have like to, to ensure that we keep the memory usage low, we only for like NPM modules, we only hold on to the files that your application is actually importing. And if you let's say you import something like a SAS file, which isn't going to be included off of the, the main field for like the JavaScript files. Um, if you import a SAS file, the, our file system retrieves that on demand and traces down all the imports in that SAS file. Um, and that's but that's very different than local, because typically on local, when you do an install from NPM, it downloads the entire tarball. And it's that's a, a lot of, of space and memory that it would take to hold that in browser. And so we have to be very careful and load stuff on demand file by file when you're using it, which leads to a faster experience, but it, it breaks a lot of the common paradigms that like VS Code and Webpack, et cetera, are built around. What about language services? Because I know Visual Studio has language services and essentially, for example, TypeScript or basically anything that's not JavaScript. Um, you know, they, they have a separate service that's running, you know, so it's another process that it talks to to parse the code and do the syntax highlighting. How do you how do you get around that? Yeah, so Monaco actually has part of uh, VS Code's language service built in. And what's nice about it is that it separates all of the compilers that it's using to parse all the languages. They're forced to be in web workers by default. So all of your heavy parsing of files to get the syntax highlighting, that's happening in a web worker. So it's not blocking any any UI or any painting from the browser. Cool. Yeah, it's probably worth mentioning that like uh, all of the heavy lifting for our architecture actually happens inside of a, a web worker as well. So when you know all the bundling, compiling, et cetera, uh, happens in a web worker, and then once we have that uh, post-compiled bundle ready, we ship it over the wire and over into the preview windows, and then instantiate it. So the only work that the when you're actually previewing the application, the only work it's doing is actually just instantiating code that's already been compiled, which makes for a really buttery smooth experience, like a, a scary buttery smooth experience because you wouldn't expect it from a browser. But that's because it's it's all the hard work's happening in a web worker. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, 
running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash javascriptjabber. So I, I guess the other thing that I'm wondering here is how do you architect something like this? Because it sounds like there are a lot of moving pieces and a lot to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, we're, very carefully. <laughs> very, very carefully. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're in the process of uh, uh, open sourcing a lot of the, the pieces of StackBlitz, and it's going to take us probably months to do this because we're still – uh, we're still experimenting with different ways to to handle various parts of these. That uh, uh, like a, there there are a couple of things specifically that are going to provide even f- more speed benefits that we're seeing than we're seeing today. For example, uh, we figured out a way that we can uh, potentially be leveraging IndexedDB to increase the speed of the boot times and the bundling times by you know somewhere between two to three x. And for like npm installs, uh, we figured out a way that we're at. We've tested locally that will install about five x faster on average, which would actually make it uh, what like I, I I don't know what else is out there, but I I would be uh, I would I would definitely think that this would probably be the fastest npm client in the world because we're stripping down the packages to just the bare that your application needs. So we're we're still working on adding a couple of upgrades into this architecture before we start really doing um, a clean job of modularizing it and and open sourcing the various pieces. But uh, yeah, so that's so a lot of people have been asking when we're going to open source. Um, and the, the answer is, you know, what once once we have a lot of the uh, the final architectural decisions hammered out and proven and implemented, um, we're going to we're going to go and, and start releasing that stuff. Yeah. And another part of the architecture is that we tried to make um, as much of the lifecycle of the application, uh, a client-side heavy as possible. Otherwise, like if um, like comparing back to Cloud Nine, like since they have to run a server farm in like a cluster of compilers in the cloud, um, that that makes it a lot harder to scale and a lot more expensive to scale up as we get more users. But since uh, the way we architected our app is basically yeah by making it client-side heavy and then um, Basically, all our backend is responsible for is just persistence of your app, so it doesn't do anything like really CPU intensive. So, one thing I wanted to ask you mentioned this quite a while ago. You said uh, we couldn't have done this with browsers a year ago. Could you expound on that and maybe give us some clarity as to why this couldn't have been done a year ago? Yeah, uh, there's just been a lot of innovation in in browsers over the past year. Uh, you know, the adoption of the, a lot of the APIs that progressive web apps consist of allow this to be possible. Um, V8 just keeps getting faster and faster and better and better. Um, System.js has matured a lot. Guy Bedford has done an absolutely incredible job on System. Um, and it's just it's the it's just the crown jewel um, that that it, no one seems to have uh, uh, picked up and really identified as uh, in recently, which is a shame. Um, and so I think that the combination of, of those things, um, the unpackage and JS deliver be having CDNs for all of the MPM files, uh, you know, that's how we're able to do installs directly on the client itself. 
So we don't, you don't actually hit our servers when you're installing files. You're actually just compiling from CDNs. These, these are a lot of these things uh, really weren't around even just a year ago, or at least weren't even in a state where they could be used for for what we're doing them for. So that brings up another thing. You talk about you know System JS and how amazing it is, right? So the Angular yes. team has made a concerted effort. They're moving away from System JS, yes, um, which is just one of the many you know people that use System JS. But uh, what do you do? You have comments about that particular thing? Yeah, I think I think System JS. Um, yeah, I think for Guy Bedford, he you know he'd have to speak for himself. We talked with him uh, a bit um, at this point, and uh, you know his vision for System was to create the plumbing that would be required in order to run IDEs inside of your browser. Like that, mm-hmm. that was his motivation in creating System. And so it's always been a very long bet on the future. And again, you know, when an, the Angular team adopted System, uh, you know, like two years ago or a year and a half ago, whenever it was, uh, the web wasn't quite there yet. And even today, for what System's trying to do, the web still isn't quite there yet. Um, and it's probably going to be another year or two before you can use System alone, and uh, and it and it works incredibly well on the browser. It may be sooner. Guys working really hard to, you know, make System uh, like to get that developer experience around System to be really great. It's it's kind of like this. Like system is essentially a like a Formula One car that, but it's stripped down to the metal. There's nothing. It's it's just it's this super fast vehicle, uh, but there's no seat and there's no steering wheel. And if you just take the time to, you know, flush out the interior a little bit, it screams. It's faster than Webpack. It's faster than anything else out there. But the the problem is actually just in the last mile of making it an absolutely excellent experience to drive. Interesting, uh, a cool uh, perspective. So, one other thing I wanted to ask, which was uh, the finances of this. How is this getting paid for? Well, the the benefit of running everything on the client is that uh, uh, we we actually spend more on Chipotle burritos than server costs per month. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we this is this is kind of a, a side project of Thinkster, and so you know we're happy to pay for the uh, the hosting. But you know, what about the uh, development costs? We bill ourselves zero dollars an hour. For this sort of work, you know. <laughs> Your um, time has no value. You're saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't don't tell our clients that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's uh, if if. You know, we're we're really excited about the idea of being again of being able to contribute some real world knowledge about uh, how to how potentially a universal loader system that worked natively in browser uh, could could look like um, and could function. And I think uh, even with just the the launch of StackBlitz, I think a lot of people have um, have, have at least started to to question. Okay, you know, are, are we at that point now where uh, we can? You know, maybe doing development on a Chromebook might not be so crazy, you know, right. within the next couple of years. So continuing on in that same thing, you know, I'm going to ask asking hard questions. Is there a future potentially where this product or some variation on this product costs money? And uh, is a profit will or at least, you know, some kind of an income center for Thinkster? Yeah, I, I think if, if we start charging for this, we'll probably we'll probably incorporate this as a as a separate company. Um, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time working on Stacklets right now. And so I, th- I think we're pretty close to just starting to work full time on it. Um, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of features that, 
that I think would make sense to pay for. You know, a lot of people have been asking for the ability to have private projects and real-time collaboration, so like Google Docs style and that sort of thing. Um, which I, I'm not sure if we necessarily charge for that, but you know, maybe the private projects thing would make sense to charge for. You know, I think there's there's definitely ways that we could we could make this a uh, sustainable. Which is definitely if 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 we get to the point where we decide like this is something that we really want to sink the next year, couple of years of our life into, sustainability is definitely going to be a top ticket item that we have to accomplish. Obviously, otherwise. Uh, you know, this is this has been a fun side project and and we'll be broke, <laughs> which uh, right. wouldn't, wouldn't be as fun, wouldn't be super fun. But, you know, uh, we've been there before. <laughs> so uh, what about like just interesting and cool projects that people have put up? Have you guys got a list of like, hey, wow, look at this. that This person has done or this person has done. Yeah, we're putting together, we've been uh, keeping track, uh, like a lot of people are posting on Twitter, the, the various things they've created. I mean, you know, the Angular uh, Fire team, you know, they are, they have their demos of it, you know, the the, uh, the Angular Fire 2 library specifically running inside of this, which is super cool to be able to just play around with that and see it change live. Yeah, that is cool. Did, they, did that cost a bunch of extra work on their part to make that happen or did that just run? No, it just it just works because uh, you know for like the Angular um, our Angular project it actually mirrors the Angular CLI pretty much exactly. You can even use the CL, Angular CLI.json config to add in various styles and soon with the generator support we were talking about adding prefixes and, and that sort of thing. So it, uh, these actually reflect that local environment, uh, you know, pretty much exactly. Like there's you know there's obviously a lot of little things that um, people run into that we have to fix, but uh, but we work really hard to make it. Uh, be parity with that that local experience. Um, but yeah, the the, uh, the Angular Fire team um, released their demos, and if you go to the GitHub, I, they have a link to it. Their stuff is really cool. Um, there's a lot of really cool animations people are making using like React Motion and 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 stuff like that. And uh, this past week, we actually implemented SAS imports, so you could actually import um, uh, from npm. So for example, with Angular Material. You can create a SAS file, import the Angular Material SAS themer, and then create SAS themes uh, hot reloaded. So you can just type in a new color, and it, boom, the entire application changes like without reloading. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible, and so that one's been super cool as well. Hmm. So I actually looked at your stuff because I do, you know, I do a lot of plural site content, right? Mm. So I do a lot of te teaching, which is fairly similar to, uh, in some ways, to Thinkster. And uh, I was looking at this thinking, how could I leverage these for my courses? And, uh, and some of the stuff that I'm doing, the uh, work they actually do of like, hey, install this NPM stuff is very meaningful, but for lots of stuff, it wouldn't be. So I was kind of interested to see that you guys had put this out because I'm always looking for ways to communicate better and you know let people play around with projects and do demo code a lot easier in courses. Absolutely. Yeah, the, you know, education, you know, the whole reason we started working on it was because of our own use case uh, of education, you know, teaching things to users. Um, and, and we're small piece to the work you do on, on Pluralsight. Um, but, you know, it's it's definitely been, it's made a, a, a large difference in our day to day. Um, I'm sure like for anyone else who's listening as well, it, it's being again, being able to give them a live environment with zero setup. Um, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty incredible, especially because yeah. it it feels exactly like their local environment. Um, we've, we've worked really hard to to make it feel that way, and we actually have some more features that will help with that that are coming out in the next couple of weeks. One specifically is you're going to have the ability to 
put a GitHub URL. Like, so if you stackless.com slash edit slash GitHub, and then just a repo name and the folder. And if it's an Angular CLI project or create React app or um, view or whatever, it'll actually run that live. So you can just push code to a GitHub repo and you can have a link that lets people run those examples live on StackBlitz without having to do any other configuration, which a lot of people use, you know, for docs or for courses, they have a GitHub repo to maintain that source code. And so this allows you to just have, uh, you know, for free with no additional setup, a link to a running StackBlitz instance of it. That's awesome. Um, any other big uh, cool features that are coming down the pike? I think we covered all of them. I, have, I, have I missed any? Yeah, I think that that basically covers it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we've I think we've talked about just about all of them. <laughs> they're, they're in the immediate term, at least. So, if people want to go check it out or follow what you guys are working on, uh, maybe follow you on Twitter, GitHub, maybe have a blog. I don't know. What are the best places to to find you guys? Yeah, uh, on Twitter, you can just follow at StackBlitz. Um, our website, the StackBlitz website, is uh, stackblitz.com. Um, and uh, from there, you can, uh, like, we, you know, I post on Medium when we do updates and that sort of thing, and we post about that on Twitter. So feel free to just follow us on Twitter and, uh, you know, go to our website and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, we have all the information posted there. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. You can replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files and having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. It has full support for JavaScript and all other major languages and platforms. It takes less than 10 minutes to set up, and you can get a free 14-day trial by going to raygun.com and signing up today. Amy, do you have some picks for us? Yep, I do. So the first one, it's a Promises series that um, someone put out uh, that's pretty active on Twitter. Um, I'm actually not sure how to pronounce his last name either. It's uh, Andrew Del Pret. I have no idea if I said that correctly. Uh, but anyways, um, I actually reviewed the series for him. And he gave me a discount code for JavaScript Jabber, which is uh, Jabber Promise, all one word. But it's uh, you can find it at uh, fiveminutedev.com, and I'll put links to that in the show notes. So that is my programming pick. And then my other pick, I have been doing CrossFit lately. So I still run every morning, but I've been doing CrossFit as well. So basically my body is like tortured right now because I run <laughs> like 40 miles a week and I'm doing CrossFit, but wow. it's super fun. Um, I'm used to just lifting and now uh, like going to the gym and lifting weights feels super vain because the point of CrossFit is like, the point is not to like look good. The point is to like be functional and do all these movements. So, um, I don't know, like I, I, I've, I've drunk the CrossFit Kool-Aid for sure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, so that's my other pick. Like I'm even going to a competition this weekend, so it'll be fun. Anyways, that's it for me. You joined the cult, huh? I did. Like I, for the <laughs> longest time I was like, I, you know, this is, I don't understand why people do this. Um, it seems really bad for your body, but I feel like if you have a good coach, uh, and you're doing the movements correctly. Like I'm super sore, uh, but in a really good way. And it's it's just a ton of fun. There's usually like really good community. Um, so yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. All right, Joe, what are your picks? All right, so I have a couple of picks here. First off, um, I was 
over uh, looking at some stuff that Sarah Drasner had tweeted recently. So I'll throw out a little name shout out to her. If you don't follow her on Twitter, you probably should. But she was she recently posted something that a Twitter account that absolutely no doubt about it you should absolutely follow. It's called Wholesome Meme. Uh, which is exactly those two words, wholesome and meme. And it's really just a whole bunch of uplifting stuff, but with a fair amount of humor to it, uh, posted to Twitter. And it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like these crazy, very, very rare shining beacons of light in the dumpster fire that is the internet. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's awesome. In in the cesspool of the internet of, of hate and and negativity it's actually really awesome and just their take on it it's not like the whole standard oh cute picture of a puppy or here's an uplifting story about a person who did something good it's it, there's a fair amount of um like i don't know edgy com- uh, com- uh, comedy to it that's also very at the same time very positive so wholesome meme and then my second pick as i have no idea how i did not know about sarah cooper Sarah Cooper, who runs um, the Cooper Review, she blogs on Medium a lot. She actually just published a book. She is, I have not laughed so hard reading. It's its a humor blog that she puts together where she has these different articles with lots of um, visuals and stuff. And it's very uh, up-to-date tech. Uh, she does, makes, does a lot of comedy about uh, women in tech as well. And like how to be non-confrontational when a woman in tech, and it's just these hilariously like parody um, comedy bits and blogs. And she has a blog called "How to Stop Procrastinating and Finish What You." And that's the that's the name <laughs> of the, the, the article. <laughs> It was so awesome. She's That's talking, awesome. She talks about spending uh, four hours reading blogs on how to not procrastinate in there. And <laughs> it's so funny. I have not laughed so much. So it's called The Cooper Review. And uh, links will be in the show notes. But she's posted a medium. Oh, my gosh. I was, I was laughing so hard. So those are my picks. Both of them uh, on the lighter side of things. There you go. All right. I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. Um, one of them is I found an open source version of, uh, or a clone of Pivotal Tracker, which is, uh, kind of a, a scrum agile tracking tool that I've used in the past. And I really like it. Um, the original one was called Fulcrum, uh, you know, it's kind of a play on Pivotal, but, uh, anyway, there's a company called, uh, Codeminers, uh, 42. I think that's what they're called. Anyway, so they've uh, been maintaining their own version of uh, of Fulcrum. And so you can go install it. found the easiest way to install it was to click the button in the readme that says deploy to Heroku. Um, that, that was super easy. So uh, I tried setting it up on a server and it was kind of a pain. They don't really tell you how to do it. I know how to deploy Rails apps. It's Rails on the back end. I think it's Backbone on the front end. Um, but it's just I just couldn't get it quite to go. So... Anyway, um, but but yeah, on Heroku, it runs great. So I'm pretty happy there. Um, and then I've also been using, um, I've been revamping the production system again for podcasts. And uh, first of all, I'm trying to hire somebody to help me get show notes done because uh, uh, one of the people that was working for me just vanished. I don't know where she went, but she vanished. Um, 
So yeah, I'm definitely looking for help there. If you're interested, just email me, chuck at devchat.tv. But uh, in order to kind of rework that and make it a little bit easier to track, I've been using uh, Asana, which is another task tracking app, and Zapier. And so I just create the, um, the task for the episode to be produced, and then it adds all the subtasks for me and uh, assigns it to the correct person and all of that great stuff. So really enjoying that, and it's doing a lot for the uh, accountability there. And then um, I'm just working on tying it into Mattermost, which is my Slack. It's an open source Slack clone, which um, is nice and free. And, um, you know, you don't have to pay for user or for per user. And you get basically complete. It does pretty much everything that Slack does. Has a whole bunch of integrations and stuff, too. So anyway, um, all that to say, I'm, I'm really pretty happy with the way that this setup is kind of coming together. Yeah, Eric, why don't you go next? <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think for for me, uh, there's there's two things uh, from for my picks. Um, one is I we we mentioned it earlier, uh, but real world, which is essentially it's basically two to MVC, but uh, full stack. It teaches you how to build, uh, or well, it shows you how a real world medium.com clone is built using a handful of front ends and back ends, and it's constantly growing. People are adding more, like Rust just got added as a back end last week and um that you can mix and match any of our front ends and back ends because there's a, a shared api spec um so you can you know use the rust back end spin up an angular back end or spin up or sorry spin up an angular front end or a react front end or an elm front end and see how those work together so that's really cool um and you can go to realworld.io to and it'll redirect you to the github page um and the second pick is uh this awesome dude named david east he's been like I, we've we've known him for um, a couple of years, uh, not not super well, but uh, he's been putting out some awesome stuff lately for Angular server rendering, um, amongst other things. And he's he was the first person to to lay his hands on Stackblitz and really provide us with a lot of awesome fee- feedback. But the nicest dude you'll ever meet, and uh, just has like has been super super helpful to us. And I think everyone should follow him. He, he posts some really great stuff. All right, and Albert, what are your picks? Uh, so my pick is uh, Thinkster, which is the company that me and Eric work for. Uh, but you can go there if you want to learn about the latest uh, React and, and Angular or any of the latest JavaScript frameworks. Uh, we also teach some backend like uh, Node, Rails, Django. So yeah, go check it out if you're in the space and looking for to learn some new stacks. Albert, is that a shameless plug <laughs> that you're making? Right, my, my, my non-shameless pick is um, <laughs> there's this book that I've, I, I kind of like thumbing through. Um, it's called The Thing Explainer. It's by uh, Randall Monroe, the guy that makes the XKCD comics. But it's basically anything... Um, everything like explained in really like layman terms. So like anything from like uh, how a nuclear reactor works to like how like the solar system works to like how indoor plumbing works. Like that's all explained with like stick figures and just like simple drawings. So that's my other pick of the day. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap this episode up. But thanks for coming, guys. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.